This is the Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps, retired. This country has produced some of the greatest leaders on the planet. And many of us don't realize it. Without American patriots in the offices, in the political world, the country will fall apart, which is what it's doing today. Because Washington, D.C. does not have the patriots that are necessary to save this country. Only Americans can save this country. What I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to play some clips from Ronald Reagan, which hands down is the greatest presidential patriot other than the founding fathers that this country has ever produced. He talked about it in 1964. He talked about it until he died. He was 93 years old when he died. And he continually talked about this country and how communism is destroying it. But the people didn't listen. We did not listen to this great patriot. And now we're suffering the consequences. It's okay. We can fix it. We, the people, can fix it. No president, Donald Trump, cannot come back into office and fix this. The people have to fix this. So tonight, I'm going to play multiple clips in a row. Not going to say a word. Multiple clips from Ronald Reagan. Listen closely to what this man says. And then reach down in your heart and say, can we get America back to what he was talking about as the president of the United States? As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price 
that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Mankind has survived all manner of evil diseases and plagues, but can it survive communism? When a disease like communism hangs on as it has for a half a century or more, it's good now and then to be reminded of just how vicious it really is. Of course, those who have the disease use all kinds of misleading terms to describe its symptoms and its effects. For example, if you and I in America planted mines on our borders, ringed the country with barbed wire and machine gun toting guards to keep anyone from leaving the country, we'd hardly describe that as liberating the people. But we've grown so used to communist double talk, I sometimes think we've lost some of our fear of the disease. We need frequent vaccination to guard against being infected until the day when this health threat will be eliminated as we eliminated the Black Plague. Communism is neither an economic or a political system. It's a form of insanity, a temporary aberration which will one day disappear from the earth because it is contrary to human nature. But I wonder how much more misery it'll cause before it disappears. This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war, and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. 
Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old, old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the Great Society, or as we were told a few days ago by the President, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print. These are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government. This was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those Founding Fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy employees number two and a half million and federal state and local one out of six of the nation's workforce employed by government these proliferating bureaus with their thousands of regulations have cost us many of our constitutional safeguards how many of us realize that today federal agents can invade a man's property without a warrant they can impose a fine without a formal hearing let alone a trial by jury and they can seize and sell his property at auction to enforce the payment of that fine in Chico County, Arkansas, James Weir overplanted his rice allotment. The government obtained a $17,000 judgment, and a U.S. Marshal sold his 960-acre farm at auction. 
The government said it was necessary as a warning to others to make the system work. Last February 19th at the University of Minnesota, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said if Barry Goldwater became president, he would stop the advance of socialism in the United States. I think that's exactly what he will do. But as a former Democrat, I can tell you Norman Thomas isn't the only man who has drawn this parallel to socialism with the present administration. Because back in 1936, Mr. Democrat himself, Al Smith, the great American, came before the American people and charged that the leadership of his party was taking the party of Jefferson, Jackson, and Cleveland down the road under the banners of Marx, Lenin, and Stalin. And he walked away from his party and he never returned till the day he died. Because to this day, the leadership of that party has been taking that party, that honorable party, down the road in the image of the Labor Socialist Party of England. Now, it doesn't require expropriation or confiscation of private property or business to impose socialism on a people. What does it mean whether you hold the deed to the, or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death over that business or property and such machinery already exists the government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute. Every businessman has his own tale of harassment. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War, and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary, because by that time, we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better read than dead, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I. 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. I want you to think about your life today and the freedoms that you still have. Listening to this great patriot reminds me of the struggle that the founding fathers went through to create this country, to defeat the king of England, the king of all kings during that time frame. And it didn't take but 30% of the population to do it. A lot of people think that all these Americans stood up and fought the revolution. Nope, that's not true. About 30% of the patriots stood up, created an army, and fought the colonial war against the King of England. We can do this. We can bring our country back. But we can't do it unless we unify as patriots in America and start from the local, state, and federal. Replace these communists. Take them out of the positions. Stand up. Tell your friends, your neighbors, when they complain about what's going on, tell them you can do something. You can run for these offices. You can take these people out of the seat and bring back the value and the virtues and the moral responsibility that the founding fathers put in us as patriots to bring our country back to what it needs to be. I don't know what God's plan is. I don't know how much longer the United States is going to be around. I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming. He may come tonight. He may come in 20 years. He may come in 2,000 years. But this much I do know. I do know that I do not want to live in the America that is being created today. Stand up, show up, and speak up. This is the gunny out.